Hi, this is Bridge Donda, and welcome to Being Human. This is a series of long-form conversations with guests from a variety of walks of life. In these conversations, we try to uncover guest guiding principles, unconventional beliefs, and hopes for the world. Without further ado, let's dive in. Hey, Skylar, thank you for coming on and being podcast guest number one. How are you doing today, sir? Hey, Bridge. Doing well, man. Doing well. Honored to be guest number one. <laughs> Truly honored. Hey, well, it is a very sacred spot for quite a guy who's doing some awesome stuff. Would you mind giving a rundown for the for the unfortunate people out there that have not met you or, or don't know much about your background? Can you just tell people what you're up to now and kind of a little bit about what brought you to this point? Yeah, yeah, sure. So right now I'm actually in El Salvador. I am in the middle of a big motorcycle trip, having started from DC a while back and rode to here through Mexico, through Guatemala and here and on my way to Argentina as part of a... uh, charity ride, I would say, for a nonprofit that I founded called Adventures for Alopecia to raise awareness of uh, alopecia, which is an autoimmune disorder uh, that causes you to lose hair that I have, I have and have had since I was 16 years old. And yeah, so currently in the middle of that adventure, trying to raise awareness, meet people in every, every country that I go, go through who have alopecia and raise some money for support. So currently in El Salvador and been kind of stranded here for few months now with <laughs> permission to leave the country because uh, of some COVID-related uh, policies and stuff like that. But not a bad place to be stranded, to be honest. <laughs> Damn, man. Well, I mean, there's a lot there and a lot I want to double click on. One thing, just, just listening to you talk, I like to use the word adventure to describe what you are doing. Is Is there one either moment or day or experience you've had on the trip so far, which, you know, you would say exemplified really that spirit of adventure that sounds like you were looking for? I think there's, I think there's, a, I mean, there's a few different days, of course, that have different aspects of adventure. I think like there's adventures, like there's part of the adventure, which is just me riding my motorcycle through some of these like incredible vistas or mountains or volcanoes or whatnot that I'll be passing, that I've passed through where that's like, it's like a true adventure. Like, I'm on my street bike that's meant for nothing more rough than a DC city street going through like, this <laughs> like, like rocky road uh, on the side of this cliff in Mexico. And yeah, that's like adrenaline pumping and pretty bona fide, I would say, adventure. But then there's also other aspects of the adventure, which are just simply like maybe not me riding the motorcycle, just being in a country, in a culture, meeting people, making friends and getting to know getting to know the place, getting to know, getting to know the, the culture of the people here, which is why, it, which I like to do, and which is why it's taken me a long time to make it only through, what, four countries now? <laughs> so oh, at this rate, I'm about a country a year, so I'll, I'll reach the top <laughs> uh, 16 years or so. <laughs> okay, well, I'll see you there when uh, we both have our AARP cards. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, as we've talked a, a lot about, um, I think, travel means 
a lot to us and the my other friends and and people who travel a lot uh, invariably the people you meet along the way seems to be you know the biggest takeaway even maybe more so than a great building or or a waterfall or whatever it might be so if, if first off is is that true in your experience too and then second off i think part of this podcast i'm selfish and really want actionable tips and and hopefully there's some tips that the folks listening could get out of it as well and the question there is do you have any default line if you're staying at a hostel or meeting someone in line to go into a museum or whatever it might be do you have any like one sentence or kind of one thing you do like buying a tequila shot or whatever it might be that you know you found is a really good springboard to meet people or is it all over the place I think it's, I mean, it's a good question. I, I would say, but first of all, I would say I definitely resonate with the, with the fact that people are the best part of traveling, like meeting, meeting people, like experiencing things with other people is an, is an incredible part of traveling. And I think, and it's often a question I get too, like I'm on this trip, this motorcycle trip solo and people are like, like, do you not get lonely? Like, are you not like, isn't, isn't you're saying people is the best part, but you're, but you're by yourself the entire time. And it's just not true. Like I am by, by myself, but I meet people along the way and, uh, and make friends in different places. And, and so I do think that's an important part. And I think the making friends part is not that hard. I mean, especially like I look kind of different down here, I guess. So people mm-hmm. are pretty easily able to, to recognize that I'm not from here. So it, I think right away, I, 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 may, I stand out a little bit. But honestly, I think one of the things that helps me the most meet people and make friends is just to smile. Like, I think just yeah. continually smiling and laughing and like, in a lot of these places too, like I look like a, I'm, I'm, you know, full on gringo down here. And so yeah. I, I get like, I mean, not, not hassle a lot, but like, like uh, street peddlers or whatnot selling their, selling, selling little trinkets were like yeah. oftentimes come up to me and like, I try to get me to buy something. And I, I know people who get like angry and upset sometimes and like, like, Oh wait, I'm not going to buy your thing. Like I'm tired of this. Like, I really think it's the wrong way to go about it. You just got to laugh it off. Say, thank you so much. Like uh, next time, gracias. And just smile, smile things away. I think that, goes a long way with with just making you allowing you to be accepted more or less i guess in the local yeah. local local place and making friends and and um people realizing that you're uh, amicable yeah uh, that's i think that's great and uh, personally something that i've looked at myself and realized which i'm consciously trying to work on is as i get older and i think fit the stereotypical male progression or at least Western notion of, of what a, a male is. I, I find myself becoming a little bit more serious. And I think that is part of the equation where you hear, you know, as folks get older and we're both, or I'm 27, I'm not sure if you're 26 or 27, but the, you know, people say it's harder to make friends. And I wonder how much of that is, just the way society breaks down and you know, you, you're not in college and you don't have these inbuilt groups versus is there that societal expectation for us to be, you know, the strong silent man. And it's something I'm introspective about. And it sounds like, you know, you're really, I don't know if it's conscious or unconscious, but always when I've known you, you've, you know, had that smile on and it's, you know, people gravitate towards that. We're, we're, we're creatures. I think that's, that's great. And yeah, it's true. I think people like to be happy and they think 
yeah, I think part of that reason for for making it being more difficult as time goes on is people just get 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 stuck in their ways to some degree, and they have their friend groups and they have their routines, and so maybe even just breaking those up sometimes is uh, a good way to, to get out, even if it's not jumping on a motorcycle and riding to uh, Argentina. Yeah, just riding to like Guatemala or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, that'll do, do it. That's that's <laughs> Again, I, I want to jump back to your initial little little intro and, and not too long, but one other thing you you hit on was, you know, one of the great parts is just being on the motorcycle and riding. And when you're going through that, I mean, I don't know how many, how many hours cumulatively is it of pure bike time? That's a great question. I've done like, it's been like 10,000 miles probably <laughs> on the bike. And yeah, I don't know. So 50, 40 miles an hour. By the way, so what is that? 10 to the four? It's 2,500 miles. Yeah. Hey, well, we can get fact checkers at, yeah. at home. Um, at out, yeah. <laughs> what do you think about when you're on the bike? Like, if you have an extended period of time, like, what are you usually thinking about, if anything? It's a good question. It's, I would say it's sort of like meditative. It's almost like, I mean, almost the same thing when I go for a long run or a run or something, I just kind of clear my mind. And well, I mean, for sure, it depends on where I am. If I'm in the middle of maybe say like Mexico city, like the world's worst <laughs> traffic, and, uh, yeah. I'm just, all I'm thinking about is trying to stay alive. And then, uh, but if I'm in like, I don't know, some country road going through mountains along the beach in El Salvador, like um, enjoying the vistas and yeah, just kind of like, I think it's a really relaxing meditative, like it can be really relaxing meditative um, experience. Very cool. Going a, a little bit back to, I think something that I think about a lot is, is my age and really at all my points in life and just how that, where I'm at in my life journey. And is that something that you think about at all with travel as a okay, I have, you know, maybe it's not this precise, but five years until I want to have family and kids. And for the next five years, I'm going to soak up life. And then I'm going to go back home and, you know, live a traditional life. Then how does, you know, the ultimate time of life and, and knowing that, you know, you will die and, you know, I don't know what different major milestones around life or family that, you may or may not have, but assuming you've done some thinking around those, how does when you do these extended travel and how you choose to live your life factor in to, you know, the concept of age and place and, you know, this spectrum of life? I, it's a great question. And it's something, it's something I may, maybe should think about more, honestly, is, but I like, as far as the milestones go, I probably have all the same milestones as a lot of you know, I probably want to get married at some point. I probably want to have kids at some point. And the at some point is the big, the big question mark. Like, I really have not planned out like what these time frames would be. I, I'm sure, like, I mean, there are some some average set timelines out there that I mean, there's an average timeline for all this stuff. And I would say though, like, my my mode of living has almost been a little bit more like I don't know. I guess I could compare it to like the software development lifestyle cycle, where like there's like waterfall and there's agile, right? And so like. I think like the planning out of Can like, you explain what uh, those uh those two mean? <laughs> yeah. So like the planning out of like specific milestones at specific times and then okay. working 
was on like a really regimented basis. I'd say as a more waterfall component. And I think like almost nowadays more like viewed as like kind of an archaic way to develop a software project. And I realize our lives aren't software projects, but I still think yeah. analogy maybe applies yeah. in that. Yeah. I like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or maybe they are. Maybe are we, are, are we not living in a simulation? And I think my approach is maybe a little more agile where like I have these ultimate goals and I think that they're, they're on there and I'm continually like progressing towards achieving them, but like iteratively reevaluating and making progress without having necessarily a strict timeline on, on, on achieving these. And so, so far, I think that's working, working out pretty well, I would say. I mean, I, I think I, I have to say I've been enjoying my life. And I think I, I've been very fortunate to be able to do so, but we will see, I guess, the major milestone markers haven't really, the average average timeline hasn't really hit me yet. So we'll see what happens there. Yeah. And you, you mentioned that there's some ultimate things that in the agile approach, there's some ultimate and I hesitate to use the word goals because it, it doesn't sound at least like they're like, you know, defined things, but maybe some end states of being or whatever you might call it that are intriguing. What are some of those? I know it's tough to articulate, but do you have any, uh, can you give your best shot of articulating what Skylar's life well-led looks like? I think, I think one of the coolest things is when I, when I, when I read an, an obituary and I'm like, wow, that guy's life was like really cool. Like, uh, or that person's life, that girl's life or whatever was really cool. Or something. And they, they lived differently. They didn't follow the same status quo that everyone else followed, worked a corporate shop for the rest of their life and made some like fat stack salary, but lived in the same spot. I don't know. I, so I think like, honestly, I kind of lived my life like as if I, uh, when I die, I would like to have a pretty, at least interesting obituary written about me. Yep. And that's just kind of just to be say, just to say like, to be like, to be different is I think interesting. And so in a lot of my decisions, I, I'm not afraid to choose the different option. What do you think that in being different, what do you think the most common belief or really big life decision that you know, most people in our age group make that, you know, they, they take for such granted and kind of do on autopilot that you disagree with, or at the very least question. I think, I don't know. I, I think it's almost a matter of doing the status quo or, or like being comfortable, maybe some, some, some degree being comfortable in your position and not willing to like branch out after a certain point in time. Like, I think during, while we're growing up, like we're obviously, we're continuously put in very uncomfortable positions, but at a certain point when we get to like our twenties, there's, it's pretty easy, I think, to maintain in the status quo and like be comfortable in your position. So we just continue with that. I also think to some degree, it's analyzing risks of certain things. And I think in general, a lot of our society is overly risk averse. Mm. Uh, And at least maybe a lot of people who I interact with my, from my perspective, and maybe it's just me who's like overly risk tolerant, which I think some people would say I'm riding a motorcycle through like <laughs> some of these places, but yeah, <laughs> but I think like, there's a lot to be said about like, you know, evaluating, like there's always like, when I evaluate a risk, a pro a risk benefit analysis, it's always like risk. Okay. What's the worst case scenario. And the worst case scenario. And like a lot of the things I do is like, okay, I die. 
and like maybe <laughs> to some degree like i've accepted like death isn't really i mean all that bad for me I, but i i obviously don't want to die and i think more so not for necessarily myself or my, for my family and my parents and stuff but, yeah uh, but i would also look at then like okay what's the average worst case scenario the average worst case scenario is much less oftentimes than yeah the worst case and i think that's the one people need to consider more whereas almost always they look at the worst case scenario yeah no it's the worst case scenario i think you know it's going from your job at google to adobe or whatever it might be and it's like the worst case scenario honestly like i think a lot of these like corporate companies you quit your corporate job you go work somewhere else for a while and if it doesn't work out you get hired back at your same corporate job and probably make more money than you would have if you just stayed there like, yeah. i think that's the well, that's the average case. Where, that's the average worst case, and I think like that's the that's the scenario people need to work at look at more. I guess you know. Yeah, and obviously, you know, you mentioned you're 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 going down there for adventures for alopecia, and anyone listening who's not familiar should certainly check out the website. I think it's adventuresforalopecia.com or dot org. I think it's redirect, but it's projectafa.org. Oh, projectafa.org. And alopecia, is, as you mentioned at the onset, is when you have no hair on your, your body. Is, is that correct? How- yeah. yeah. There's, there various, there's various degrees. Like you can lose part, patches of hair and you can grow back or it can not grow back at all. I have very little hair in my body, but I do grow some, so I shave off my, my hair on my head every once in a while. But it affects women, children, any age, et cetera. How much of your approach to life and to bucking social convention, or not... I think bucking social convention might be an oversimplification, but maybe just questioning the status quo, do you think is a result of having alopecia and having that experience that many others have not had? Absolutely. Yeah. I've definitely actually thought about this before as well. I think it's insignificant, like, or there's a, yeah, a significant amount of what I, who I am, what I do is because of the alopecia that I had when I was like 16 years old. So up until 16, I had hair, normal looking kid. And then when I was 16 in high school, I lost it all in like a matter of like six months. And so after that, then through college as well, like for the longest time I was like, I mean, there weren't that many people my age who were bald. And so it was very, mm-hmm. very, very apparent. Not to mention had no eyebrows or any yep. hair at all. And so pretty quickly I was different and I had to adapt to being different. And I like kind of thought about there being two different ways to adapt. Like you could, I could shy away and try not to be different when I really am different, or I could ad- embrace it, adapt it and accept the difference and joke about my lack of hair and be very honest about what, what it is and forthcoming, et cetera. And that's the, the latter way is I think the best way to go about it for me at least. And so, so I think just, yeah, I think it actually did impact me. From, from the standpoint of like being different, owning a difference. And then, and then uh, that maybe has like, has permeated into a lot of other decisions in my life and in terms of recognizing that being different isn't necessarily bad. And, and oftentimes I think is interesting and good. Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. And how do you, um, whenever, you know, if you're going in a country a year, whenever we meet in Argentina, we'll probably be 50 or whatever. And, you know, a lot of men our age will be bald. How do you feel about this changing from right now? You know, it's, it's very evident that you're bald and in this age group and obviously the eyebrows will, you know, will never come back, but it might be slightly less. You might be slightly less different. 
do you have any thoughts or excitements or kind of hesitations or, or how do you feel about starting to become at least to the eye a little bit more common? Yeah, that's super interesting. For, for the record, I do hope to finish this up. I, I do hope to finish at a faster rate than one country. But, uh, <laughs> so, so, another thing slow me down a little bit, but okay. nonetheless, I would say, so I'm not necessarily, I mean, it's just a question. I'm not necessarily afraid of looking more normal as time goes on, which I think you're right. will happen is like, a, as time goes on, one of the benefits of having alopecia as a guy is that it, it does become more common to evolve with age. With a girl, it really doesn't ever become mm. more common. And so I do have that. I'm fortunate from that standpoint. Fortunately, I guess from some point, but in your question, I guess you're asking if I am concerned if I will be like, once I start looking more normal, uh, I think it's an interesting question. I would say, hopefully by that point, I will be, I will still be different enough for other reasons that, that I'll, I'll still be able to identify with my, with my anti-status quo or whatnot, whatever you want to call it, identity or personality, all stemming from me initially having maybe alopecia, but, uh, Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm not super, I'm not super concerned about it. Hopefully by then I'll have some other reasons to be different. Nah, that's great. And I, I mean, I think there's plenty of things that are, are going on that uh, would cause that. And, you know, is it um, without Pisha, especially as teenager, was there ever any thought of wearing a wig or what was the reason either, you know, to obviously you did not wear a wig and were very what was the thought process there did you ever try on a wig and didn't like it or i never actually did i think for me honestly the thought process is just that wigs for guys are harder i've never tried one on so i don't really know but i I just imagine they're harder and not as common so that was maybe one of the i guess it's anti it's it's an antithesis of my be different theme but uh yeah it wasn't very i mean i think it is harder actually to find like a good wig for a guy Although I did recently learn that John Rock also had alopecia when he was um, 50 or something. He was too stressed. I guess running a multi, whatever, million-dollar tycoon machine is stressful. Jeez. Last thing on, on the alopecia front, because I think a lot of folks haven't had too much exposure to it. Is there anything that someone who has alopecia, is there a a question or, and, and I think it, it might extend to other things than alopecia, which are visible signals that are clear that it, it's something different that without even ever knowing or talking to the person you, you might pick up on. Are there any like questions or approaches that you would recommend folks who might not be as familiar with it, maybe have either asked you before or kind of an approach to talking through it that um, you really appreciated? Yeah. I mean, I think just in general for, for me, I've appreciated for personally, I've appreciated when people have asked me, why are you bald? Like, or, mm-hmm. or any, any particular reason, why do you shave your head? And then I like, you ask why you shave your head and that's a safe kind of bet. But, uh, and then I just explained it. I explained that it's alopecia. I think just being forth, forth, forthright with it and, and asking is always the most best is the best way. In high school, I know a lot of people just didn't didn't want to ask me. They didn't want to ask me. Um, yeah. And certainly, a lot of them thought it was cancer, and uh, they were, and so I think like and then they would ask friends, and other friends would maybe confirm. Oh, I don't know, maybe it's cancer, and then there'd be that rumor that starts. But thankfully, I don't think I really had that bigger rumor about that by me. And people were pretty forthright with me, so I was forthright with, with them. But 
but yeah, I would just say in general, like asking, asking is, is, doesn't really hurt. And I mean, in the case of you ask somebody and they do indeed have cancer, like, I think it's also, I mean, you could, you could wish them luck or whatnot, but, uh, but I think for, I don't know what the difference is, but I'm able to tell for some reason when people have alopecia when they, when they, when they don't. And I think yeah. maybe it's the fact that I think, I'm not sure, lack of eyebrows. I'm not sure if you lose, like, it's really not cancer that causes obviously hair loss. It's the chemotherapy that does it. And so I'm not sure if you actually lose your eyebrows during that process or not. And also I think you just generally look a little bit more like, like it is a tough treatment process. And so yeah. you don't necessarily as healthy as you would if you were just normal uh, or if you just had alopecia. So I think there's some fairly big difference there. But yeah, yeah. being honest, speak your mind. Absolutely. And and ask if you're you're curious. I think that's that's helpful. And one thing I've you know been curious about and been kind of a fan from afar is your job and your interest in, in cryptocurrency and Ethereum. Let me start here because I've tried to understand what the blockchain really is a couple of times, and I've I've kind of given up hope that I will truly internalize it. So I'm not even going to ask you to explain to me why Ethereum is great, but I will ask, what is the best case scenario for an Ethereum? take on if, if ethereum becomes popularized what are the positive impacts on society or, or what is the best case for you know someone who owns a lot of ethereum and wants good to happen in the world what's that utopian vision look like and maybe those are two separate things the value of ethereum and how it impacts society but what's that end vision would you say yeah yeah and i do kind of look at them separately so i like for instance like I don't necessarily associate the like the value of ether with with the impact on society, but I think okay. So, what would I? What would be the ideal vision of Ethereum? Maybe in a few years, I think maybe not ideal, but one possible cool thing that could impact. I think a popular like from one perspective, because there's a lot of it perspectives in which I think Ethereum can play a role with a lot of stuff mm-hmm. from voting to other stuff. But one is like a financial perspective, of course, and I would say banks today will be as obsolete as. So like banks today are like the post office was in the 70s and banks today will be like the post offices today or banks, sorry, banks in maybe 30 years will be like the post offices today where it's largely like used, it's still used, but like not very frequently and not the way it was used before. Before if you wanted to send a message to someone in in another country, you'd have to, or it's another place, you'd have to use the, the post office to, to deliver this deliver this letter, message, whatever. And, and just in that, and then also just the form at which you'd have to do this changes a lot. So it's like a paradigm shift, essentially, on, in the way that you would think about transferring now. Like that was like the internet, computing transformed the way that we communicated information. Blockchain will transform the way that we communicate or transfer value. And so the banks that we have today, Visa, Visa will be a thing of the past. I think Visa will be no more, like it will be irrelevant in the next 25 years mm-hmm. or so. These intermediaries that we have that we rely on to transfer um, value around the world will be now just internalized into computer code and you'll be able to have full custody of everything that you do. And um, yeah. I have, that's, that's- uh, I have a little notebook next to me here and I just wrote a bullet that said sell PNC stock 
<laughs> because <laughs> I think uh, that makes it is. And I don't know if Ethereum's the answer, but is there a cryptocurrency that replaces the banks like loaning money and interest rates? Is that part of the cryptocurrency ecosystem, or would that retain with banks? I would say that's that's a part of that's a part of the I would say that's part of the blockchain ecosystem, and specifically, it's a part of decentralized finance. This concept of decentralized finance, which exists largely on Ethereum today. And is like basically in order to have decentralized finance, you need to have like a intelligent smart contract platform running distributed, and that's Ethereum's uh, one of the one of the big Ethereum benefits over for, for for instance Bitcoin. So yes, I would say and and these things exist today. So if you research de- decentralized finance and looked up, oh, I forget now I'm forgetting the names, but there are are like loan you could take out a loan today uh, using cryptocurrency and collateralizing some ether or whatnot. Or perhaps some uh, some tokenization of your your house one day, or of a, of a conference ticket. You could take out a loan on that, and you could put your money into a smart contract that then earns interest. So then, you are actually through the contract, through the protocol, you are lending your 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 money out uh, to people, but you still have full control of it. It's in the protocol. It's not in not in somebody else's hands. It's not in the central bank, and you're earning interest without relying on any sort of central intermediary like. Uh, like the banks are today. And how, just to double click on this, how does someone who is getting charged high interest rates for a valid reason, like they've defaulted on many loans and in, in the past and maybe went bankrupt, how does Ethereum or, or the blockchain in general attribute that higher risk to that person if my understanding is correct that there is no like social security number like identifier to the person who's getting um the ethereum and you know f- let me know if that question doesn't make sense yeah i mean i think I mean, and and i think the answer to that is that that's not solved yet and and okay. i would say, like but it is a problem that we need to solve and that i do really i 100 percent believe will be solved one day uh, and I think there's a couple capacity. There's a couple components to it. There's like the the reputation system, like the reputation problem, where you're right. You need to have reputation if you want to take out a loan with a good percentage. And so doing that in a decentralized manner, where you don't rely on say the U.S. government to say that you are who you are, or these credit score companies to say that this is your credit score, that will be solved one day. But it is still like a, a work in progress. I would say it's largely. I think a lot of the solutions are going through like your basically your reputation is given to you by people who you know and um, people you interact with. And then your history is more or less visible on blockchain. And yeah, the loans of today on the blockchain are a little bit more, calm, are not what they will be, I think, in the future. And they're not, they're sure, not what you yeah, can get now, like, in, yeah. in, you know, But I think these things are, there's one thing like I kind of try to like my professional life, I try to live my professional life by, I guess it's just the understanding that like, I don't know what the future will look like, but it certainly won't look anything like it does today. Like, it won't yeah. look anything like and if you look at like 20 years ago, that's true. 30 years ago, that's true. And I think the rate at which things change and improve will only get faster with time. So um, I don't know. I watched the movie. Uh, uh, what's the what's the VR movie? Ready Player One. Oh, um, uh, yeah. Like that's not too far in the future. Something like that is possible. Yeah. And I honestly think that there's huge. Like I think a lot of that is possible and realistic with VR, obviously, but also with blockchain and assets represented on on some sort of uh, blockchain like that. So we'll see, we'll see. And you said uh, 
if I'm cherry picking your words, you know, tell me if it's not what you meant, but you said, you know, things are going to keep progressing and improving at a faster rate. Do you feel the world is improving? I do. I think, I I think I definitely do. I think it's easy. Like I think every year we've had thus far has been, I think save maybe a couple years here and there. Pandemic years, Um, maybe. Right. Maybe, maybe not those like, but I think by and large, every year is usually better than the year prior and, and look 10 years ago. Sure. Certainly better than that. Medicine's improving, technology's improving. And while every year it's, I think it's easy in the media, of course, like and, and people's attention focused on what's negative about that year and how this year was the worst year yet. Maybe a lot of people think, I think there's a lot of, and I think that's good to focus on the things that we need to improve. Of course. And there's always things we need to improve, but I think it's also important to take a, take a, look back at the bigger picture uh, every once in a while and realize that we are we are improving a lot and we're improving fast I think 10 years ago what did we have what what can we do like this pandemic right now i mean i think it would i mean i'm not sure if we would have been able to do what we do with the lockdown if it was 10 years ago like how much what percentage of the workforce can work online yep. now without much of an issue whereas 10 years ago I, that would not have been the case um, yeah absolutely the thing that scares me about the the future is the mental health which i hope also to be a recurring theme on on this podcast because to me it seems like that's all that matters is like how however the mental health physical health comes first and i think a lot of things stem from physical health but that mental health piece I think people in our age group, certainly there's increased rates of anxiety and depression. And if that's just a labeling or a diagnosis thing, or it's actually increased, I'm, I'm not sure. I tend to believe it's actually increased, but I'm, I'm hesitant or apprehensive. I think a lot of people watch the, the movie, The Social Dilemma. Um, I'm not sure if you saw that or not, but it, just around you know, the, the teenagers, especially teenage girls. I'm apprehensive, but at the same point, I think similar to cryptocurrency, there will be you know micro revolutions in in different ways. I'm I'm hopeful that there are revolutions against these things, which might not look like people storming the Bastille in, in France or even as explicit as the the hippie psychedelic revolution in the sixties or seventies, which I wish I was around for, but the, (laughs) but I think there'll be some revolutions. And I I think the crypto is one, which a disproportionate amount of people I know and, and really trust and, and respect, including you are so passionate about the cryptocurrency revolution. And it seems to me to have a, a core that is more than, you know, replacing Visa and stopping 2% processing fees. What is that emotional core that I seem to pick up on? But it, what's, is there a philosophy that's behind it, which expands beyond the financial side of things? I think, so I think there's probably multiple philosophies and multiple maybe values that people have and people are in it for different reasons, of course, but I think probably the common one, maybe the one I got in start, I got interested in it for was, was like a, a decentralization and more of like a collaborative community, decentralized ability to 
execute and do and like and do things and coordinate and uh, and and make decisions and so like i mean the famous example i think stems from like bitcoin for instance where like i mean the, the us dollar can be um people can choose to print the us dollar it's decided by what 12 12 old white guys sitting around the table mm. in washington uh, can decide to print trillions of dollars for um for supposedly good reasons to simulate the economy or whatnot but in turn, inflating the inflating the, uh, the, uh, the the dollar significantly, and I think I don't know. I think every fiat currency controlled by a certain subset of small group of people will eventually, like I think, they'll slowly cycle out. Like I think the U.S. dollar included. I mean, I think everything will sort of cycle around. But I think one of the reasons people are like one of the underlying factors of, of Bitcoin, for instance, was that now that this power is no longer held in somebody's small and some small group's hands. Mm. Like the the Decisions that affect many are now are no longer in the hands of a few; they're in the hands of the many. And I think yeah. the ability to make that happen in a technological world is what blockchain is all about. Like this, like this ability wasn't possible before. You couldn't have everyone in the U.S. decide, vote on on little, or even the president. Like we don't do that, but like vote on whether or not they want to improve the monetary inflation or policy or whatnot. And now you sort of have this ability to make these uh, these distributed, decentralized decisions. Very cool. So it's a, it's almost a hyper, or not even hyper. It, it just is a democratic ideal of you know these few people who may or may not have the same lived and shared experiences as you know the the rest of the people who they're impacting with their decisions. It, it's giving the power to the people to you know ultimately reflect whatever policy is happening at an equal share of everyone involved. Yeah, it's true. And I think there's power with that is also, I recognize there's flaws with it too as well. Like uh, yeah. devil's, devil's advocate, like, like these people that are, are making these policies are well, well-recognized economists and probably have studied this stuff for many, many years and have supposedly probably the best understanding of it in the world. And so maybe that's why they're making decisions. Um, but I do think that uh, there's something we said about distributing the power a little bit. And uh, is, yeah. is there any, um, not, I don't even know if the framing of this question is, is understanding just the true extent of the definition of blockchain, but you know, we had the fiat currency and then now blockchain is being talked a lot about. Is there any like subtle rumblings of, any completely new type of way to exchange value or is blockchain cover so much that, you know, blockchain's got it covered and we can stop thinking about ways to upend our, uh, our system for a couple of decades at least. <laughs> I mean, that's a super interesting question. I think I'll be honest. I haven't, if there is rumblings of it, I have not yet heard about it. I think like my common, my, my mental framework is sort of like the internet, has disrupted like the exchange of information, the way that we spread information around the world and communicate with each other. And then blockchain will interrupt or like disrupt the way that we 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 move value, exchange value, um, and everything to do with value, blockchain will interrupt. Maybe there's another category out there that hasn't even yet been or I, that I haven't thought about. But I think it will be the underlying protocol and in, in way in which we do this for a for a long time. But we'll see, I'm sure. I mean, hey, hundred years from now, who knows? Very cool, man. Hey, well, want to get you out with a couple of 
quick questions at the end and, you know, feel free to give a couple word answer, you know, expand as, as, as much as you see fit. First thing, any, me and my brother call it earthquake books, uh, like that really changed your life, either earthquake books or earthquake articles or YouTube videos or podcasts that have really, really rocked the way you, you live your life? It's a great question. I don't read as many books as I should. And there's a couple of books out there I like. Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance is one that I like and particularly relevant maybe to what I'm doing. Although I thought it would be more relevant than it, than it really what Like it, it really isn't that much about motorcycles and it's way more about philosophy, but was still really interesting. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. One, one article I, I actually, one article in particular is a New York Times obituary. And I mentioned these before, but uh, was about the man who rode across the Atlantic, I think it was. And it got, like that in itself is kind of interesting and a cool story. But then you read the obituary and you hear about his life and how he got in like, it was a pirate for a while. And this was just like a couple of years ago when he died. And so like, like it was really kind of a fascinating, like, wow, what did this guy yeah. do? Like, this is a sweet life uh, or crazy life, at least really interesting at least nonetheless. And something along like that, I think was kind of an inspiring article to read. Like, like you can be different. And I, one thing I'll interject is uh, I will definitely check that out. And, I love obituaries too. And, um, usually I'm a, I'm a big fan of the economist and I read the headlines circle, which articles I'm going to read. And then I go to the last page every time. And there's an obituary of, you know, usually someone who's fairly esoteric, um, who I haven't heard about before. So I'm, I'm really on the same page with you on obituaries, I think are, are fascinating. Yeah. The daily um, pickup, pick me up reading now, just, uh, Gets you going. You are, I know, like to work out and fit. Any tips for doing that while you're on the road? Uh, if you have tips for me, I, I'm happy to hear that. But I, I, I do run, so I, I've been doing a lot of running, body weight exercises. I'm going to try to do. That was like it's my New Year's resolution to do more body weight exercises because that's the best way to do it on the road. But actually, surfing I picked up, and I've been basically doing that every day, if not twice a day, um, for now several months. And I think it's the healthiest sport in the world. Not only just physically, very challenging, um, but mentally, I think it's a it's also challenging, but meditative. And I think it is. I do I do a decent amount of sports, and I think it's it's my favorite, one of the best in the world. Um, it's also cheap, accessible. Well, accessible if you're on the beach, but in your waves. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> But cheap for sure. I mean, you just need your board and a swimsuit and maybe a wetsuit if you're in cold water. But big fan of surfing as of late. And this is not to say that I'm an expert surfer. I'm far from that. But nonetheless, it's it's still fun. It's great, man. And final kind of rapid question is if someone sees or hears about your life and wants to say, I want to do a big trip. And maybe it's not a motorcycle, but it's a... I want to go to Italy for a month and take cooking classes or whatever it might be. What's your biggest piece of advice for someone who wants to do it, but might be a little bit more risk averse um, to actually, you know, push them in the direction to, to take that jump off the diving board. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I would say, I think we talked about this before, but it's, it's sort of like the risk analysis. Like, you can think about the worst case scenario and I think, sure, think about it, but just miss that pretty quickly because it's unlikely to happen um, depending on what you're doing. 
then there's like the average average worst case scenario. And that's probably more worthwhile to think about. And oftentimes it's way less bad. And when you think about the average case and what the best case scenario is, like m- many times it's like, oh, like this would actually be a really cool experience. And like the best case and average case way outweigh what the, uh, what the average worst case scenario would be while they maybe don't outweigh the worst case scenario. Um, and so I, I don't know what that graph would look like if I were to draw that in a line, but I, I think there's, there's something to be said about, about um, thinking about the different cases, the different scenarios and weighting certain of them differently based on impact and likelihood of happening. Awesome. Well, with that, I think we should all do a little bit more uh, true cost benefit analysis like, like you do. I think it's a, it's a really healthy exercise to, to approach rationally. And then um, after you do that, just throw caution to the wind. And- <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you heard it from Skylar. Quit your job. Uh, buy a motorcycle. <laughs> and and uh, we'll all meet down in Argentina in uh, maybe not 50 years. Maybe it'll be 10. <laughs> yeah, no, but, you know, hey, no. great getting to chat, man. Appreciate you coming on. Anyone who's listening, thank you for listening. And we will be back next time. Awesome. Big honor to be here. Thank you so much, Bridge.